This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porncast that is still sore from not having any of the sex in Vegas last week. I am your co-host, Yvette Dontremont. Here is my likewise, probably still exhausted, sore, and very, very effervescent, delightful co-host, Alice Vaughn. Alice, are you fucking exhausted from the AVN still, or are you back to human? Because I, that, how, how are, am I this tired? Am I this old? What is happening? It was like a space-time warp of exhaustion last week. We were pulling out 16 hours days though. This is true. So I'm not surprised and so many people had the avian flu and to be clear avian. I mean avian not, not avian. Not, not, we're, <laughs> we're not breeding in near some birds nests so uh, a lot of you guys saw a lot of the pictures we posted and the video oh my god the video clips from the VIP suite that was you know I have never seen if if you have not signed up for our Patreon yet patreon.com slash two girls one mic if you have not signed up for it yet we posted some videos from the VIP suite and a friend of ours which which, by the way, you need to spend $1,500 to get into this yeah, VIP a, suite. A friend of ours was working the event. We just, we got snuck in as happens. Like, look, there are certain things that are kind of female privilege things. You get snuck into these if you're a cute girl. Probably not the same case if you're a guy. Sorry, gents. Just part of the deal. But we're in there and it's not that there are beautiful, uh, wonderful porn stars and exotic dancers dancing on platforms topless. It's not just that they're dancing on this, you know, ottoman, this this couch, you know, with two of them in a kind of simulated sex act. It's that there are men sitting on a couch around them having the audacity to look bored at this. Right? How dare you? How dare you? That girl is working hard for you. You at least look, hey, you're doing a good job. Like, I was just, I was amazed. At a couple the, claps, golf claps, at least. The utter boredom of these men who are just like, eh, it's okay, I saw this here last week. Nothing gives me joy anymore. I just need to throw my money at pussy juice and glitter and hope something falls out that brings me a spark of life. It was just, it was an amazing scene of like, I'm like, is this where Caligula comes back? Like, it was, this, this is the fall of Rome. I shouldn't be here. No one should be allowed. It was just it was like you know that parties like that happen like it was like the top floor of one of the hard rock uh hotel suites yeah there was a bowling lane a bowling lane in the suite as they have not a thing i've ever seen in a hotel before because i'm poor uh but there's a bowling lane there's a hot tub there's just like oh my god and there there are two bars in it dude i was so proud of how many uh performers we knew there who were topless who were our friends yeah so we're just it's great we're just going up and chatting because they're our buddies and like every so often like you know here's the thing they're working at this party like the second night that we were there i was chatting with kate and she's like i'm so cold and i really want to put a top on and this guy will not and like this guy was just at one point she dumped this creepy old guy on me she's like hold on i have to go to the bathroom I'm like kate don't do this to me but i understand why she was like i stood oh, there no. with like my you know that fuzzy wrap sweater that i wear over everything yes. like i stood there rubbing kate's back trying to warm so like every guy's fantasy is is i'm sure you know a woman rubbing another porn star's back with a fuzzy sweater <laughs> to try to keep her from freezing her tits off i was saving her titties gentlemen you are welcome oh my god for me i think the most disappointing moment so wait actually no there were a couple fun moments so we're gonna keep on doing this over and over again <laughs> yeah and we're gonna get to our amazing guest which uh by the way we have on the show kate uh, diadamo so exciting kate thank you so much for show joining us on the show but we got to meet for example like evan stone we got to see old friends like tommy pistol and riley reyes i have to brag my intro to evan stone was was <laughs> solid because i 
It was perfect. Because like when you when you have to wait, hold on, Kate. Do you know who Evan Stone is? <laughs> I don't, unfortunately. He's one of the better, like, when I say better actors in porn, I mean, he could act in mainstream stuff and no one would know that his dick has been featured in many movies. You know, like, he's he's funny. He's got good comic timing. He's amazing in the parodies. And anyway, like, whenever we have one of these actors who we've reviewed a lot of their films, uh, like, it's always like, oh, you've given us so much joy. What do we say when we meet you? So I kind of have to look for a funny thing to say or else I'll feel like a tool when I just try to, you know, sir, I enjoy your... I don't know how to fan at someone normally. So No, we don't. No, we, I, we can't do, we had weird childhood. So, you know, I just went up to him, like we saw, he was inches away from us and I'm like, you know, grab Alice's arms, like we're doing that thing where we look back and forth at each other, like, where do we, we have to, so I just, fuck it, walked over. Uh, Mr. Stone, we've been, we review poor, we, I enjoyed you so much in the Simpsons parody. You looked great with a yellow penis. He started laughing so hard and now, and the punchline is he's our new best friend and we're totally like, you know, it's when we asked him, now here's the best part because we do try to get people onto the pod when we get them and I'm always a little nervous about, you know, asking someone who's a big star but you know we were drunk on hot girl superpowers fuck it I was just like there were some nights we oh, were yeah. yeah so I just I just asked him you know do you have a uh, a publicist or an agent that we can reach out to or an email address he's like nah here's my my phone number so we have Evan Stone's number oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah which I'm sure we're going to use a lot <laughs> but we're going to try to get Evan on the show which I'm very excited about I want behind the scenes stuff now that said we had a couple interesting celebrity moments so for example I know that when we were at one of the sweet parties oh I saw Aerie Spears so for me I grew up for those of you who have no idea who Aerie Spears is comedian. he was on Mad TV he's a hysterical comedian and he was a host this year at the AVNs and I gave him a joint which is legal in Nevada just to be just to be clear <laughs> so I'm introduced to him and I'm all I could say is I'm a huge fan of yours. And then I basically point to my friend London, who's topless. Oh, and here's my friend London and her tits. <laughs> is there anything else I can say? No. You know, when I'm around London, basically that's all I can say too is is here is my friend who has put her tongue on a prolapse. Like, I don't know what else to say. I can't be more interesting than her tits. I know I'm not. Uh, we've had London on the show before. I love her. And she just, she always has a look on her face like she's about to drop the most painful like deeply true bit of of honesty on you and I dig that about her like when she says something to you like even if you're like ooh that was sharp you're like yeah that was she meant that she meant every bit of that and like I just dig that we spent the AVNs uh, standing in the back of the auditorium with our porn friends with our shoes off being complete trash with pandas with Chris Angel oh, oh yeah so as it turns out and like you know I thought I knew the Vegas magicians not biblically <clears throat> but uh, you know I thought I knew them by sight I've been in that town enough I've seen the billboards Apparently Stormy Daniels is dating Chris Angel and they were standing right the fuck next to us. And I was we were just sitting there like, who's this like backup singer for like one of the 90s wannabe emo punk boy band? Like we did not know who it was. I was like, oh, my God, my space is back. Yeah, it was very like that style. I joke about me getting my foundation <laughs> as uh, from Home Depot. Oh my God. But his is a primer. It, it, was, it was so white. The hair was very um remember john and kate plus eight like the asymmetrical haircut that kate had it was like that but longer and like with some black dye uh, in it right yes. Am I, i'm not wrong you know i'm not wrong kate tell me you remember this because i barely watch tlc i definitely remember the ads for it i definitely remember thinking that woman has 
like an attempt at a power lesbian haircut. <laughs> and so I know exactly what that looks like. She has permanent resting. I would like to talk to the manager face. Yes. I mean, I never watched the show, but like seeing all the things that happened in the fallout of, of that, it's like, I can't really blame her. She had a litter of kids and a husband that seemed kind of mentally checked out. Can't blame her for the want to talk to the manager face. But that haircut we can fucking blame her for. At eight, it is a litter. It's... And we can blame Chris Angel for getting it in 2020 when he has handlers and people should be able to tell him now, Chris, <laughs> there's shampoo now. That said, Stormy looked like a goth goddess. I loved her so outfit. Cute. She was so cute. She had this like ballerina tutu. I can't wait for the AVN photos to come out. They probably are already yeah. out. And she just looked adorable. Yeah, she was. It's, I'm like, if she wants to go goth pixie, I am down for it. I just I'm look, I'm just saying a previous very blonde, very adorable ex-girlfriend of Hugh Hefner's wrote a book detailing how shitty it was to date Chris Angel. I'm just saying, girl, I know you have a history with some shitty men. Get out. Get out. We will have you on the podcast and it'll be fun. Spill all the tea. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I want it. <laughs> I want that moment. It's just, whew, it was it was very weird to realize it was Chris Angel that because he was just standing in our little group all night. What kind of magic acts is Chris Angel famous for? Uh, bad ones. <laughs> okay, detail. I don't want to be too mean about this, but like a lot of his shit, and this is what I've heard from my magician-y friends, it's a lot of like television magic where like, look, we moved the camera. So you, like, it's very, it's as I've been told, yeah, you get a room with all the other magicians in Vegas uh, and, and it burns down. Chris Angel still isn't the best magician in Vegas. Oh man. Like, I've heard some shit behind, like in, in the back room uh, at, mm, not going to say which magician, everyone who listens to this knows who I'm talking about, but they're not necessarily fans of Mr. Chris. So what we're saying is if you want to know, become a magician, work your way through the ranks, join the magic castle, and then listen to all the shit about other magicians from other magicians. This is your in. It'll only take 20 years. Or just do what I did and blow like a D-list magician and like become a peripheral friend of them and you'll get to hear all the dirt. Like that's totally what everyone wants to do with their life. I know it. I feel it in the... Anyways. Kate, have you ever blown a D-list magician I haven't. Um, I haven't, but I do have a bucket list. So thank you nice. for extending that one. Just one more. My weirdest sexual misadventure so far has definitely been a mime. Ooh. A French mime 25th birthday party. In my defense, I did not know he was a mime at first. Afterwards, we're lying in bed and he told me before, because he was French, I thought he was gay when I first saw him at the club because, you know, well-dressed uh, and whatnot and had... had had the look. Look, if you're going to send me letters, you know what I'm talking about. Shut the fuck up. Don't send me that kind of hate mail. Anyways, um, but after we started talking, I realized he was not gay. He was European. Things lead to things. He comes home with me. Afterwards, we were lying on my bed and he uh, he says to me, I know I told you earlier I am actor. I am not just actor. I am mime. And I'm like, no, he did not just say that. And he says to me. Why couldn't he just do mime tricks during sex? Oh, man. Like, what's the point in boning a mime if he's not going to do that? Right? I Here's the best part. He just, then he went, the job of the mime is to make take the invisible and to make it visible. And he starts putting himself into a box on my bed. I mean, the, the best I could do was take him out of that box and put him back into to mine your so. box oh yeah. yeah that's that's the best mind play joke i got but wherever he is oh, his name no. is maxime Woodall, and i'm still in love with them moving on bang yourself a mime you won't regret it or at least i did not regret mine there won't be too much talking so I'm sure we're going to have so many more AVN stories as we bring guests onto this show from the AVNs. Oh, man. But until then, I am so excited for this show. Yes. Yes. So, Kate, 
Do you have any idea why I'm so excited? I'm I'm confused, and now I'm wondering who you're mixing me up with. She's been low-key stalking <laughs> you, and here's the thing. When she low-key stalks someone and she wants Stop. to get a thing, she gets what she wants. And this, You're not wrong, but okay, This is fine. how she made our friendship happen, so it's a compliment, okay? Like, she digs the cut of your jib is what it comes down to. Well, thank you. And I will say, you know, especially when so much of, of safety is about just, like, learning about the other person, whether they know it or not, it's not stalking if it's not hard. <laughs> right? And look, I've only been a fan of your Twitter. I've been appreciating it. For our listeners who have no idea why I'm so excited. So who we have on the show today is Kate Diadamo, and she's the partner at Reframe Health and Justice. And she does advocacy and capacity building for sex worker rights. And one of the conversations that we've had over and over and so many questions about is decriminalization and legalization and what the difference is and what's going on. And I've had to do so much homework on it on my own that I feel like I've learned a lot, but I keep learning so much more. And I mean, so first off, Kate, thank you for joining us on the show today. Oh, of course. Thank you, guys. So let's start with um, what is Reframe Health and Justice? Um, so we are a queer trans people of color consulting collective that works at the intersections of harm reduction, criminal legal reform, and healing justice. And what that means is that all of us have backgrounds coming from and, and working with the communities that we uh, engage with. And so a lot of us have backgrounds working with sex workers, working with substance users, formerly incarcerated folks, criminalized populations, and now get to do really awesome, exciting stuff, especially just around the health rights and safety of sex workers and drug users. Nice. That's awesome. Maybe let's start at the top. For our listeners who hear the word decrim, what does that mean? And what's the difference between that and legalization? Just to, an aside, uh, my husband works uh, as a chief scientist at a cannabis company, and the terms decrim and legalization come up, and they they butt heads all the time in that industry, too. And I think a lot of people get the, I still get them kind of mixed up, too. So would love to hear, uh, hear more about that. Absolutely. And actually, sometimes when I sit down with folks who work in cannabis, I'm like, all right, so this is what we mean when you we use these terms. <laughs> Sorry that it's not exactly the same. Oh, yeah. And I hear arguments for both of them in both directions from the cannabis industry. So I'm curious how different it is. Sure. So right now in the United States, um, you know, we have sex work. And it is absolutely as broad as people think it is. It, it involves different areas of the industry that are all criminalized, regulated, or decriminalized in different ways. So you have, and that can even change kind of jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Like if you're a dancer working in Missouri means you're probably going to have completely different regulations, oversight than if you're working in Atlanta, for example. So in the United States, criminalization falls under prostitution laws, which is an exchange of sexual services for resources. And a lot of time that looks like escorting. It's in-person work where it is direct either sexual contact or performance where you're receiving something in return. And we're actually the most criminalized in the entire global north. So literally every other country in the global north has a different set of regulations and different forms of criminalizations. And we're, of course, the most and are, are really reliant on the policing of the sex trade. And so every single state is criminalized where that exchange will means that you face criminal penalties. So the buyer is criminalized, the seller is criminalized, loitering, which means just kind of being profiled as a sex worker is criminalized, and every single person around sex workers are criminalized. So third-party laws can be things like facilitation of prostitution. So that can be as much as tossing someone a client. Um, promoting prostitution can mean you your friend is terrible 
terrible at writing ads and you really enjoy it. And so you're like, please let me help you about this because your last ad was terrible and it did not work. Oh my God. And that's promotion of prostitution. Driving someone to a session and then tossing them 20 bucks falls under facilitation. It falls under receiving the proceeds. If two sex workers live together and one person... If someone doesn't know that they're driving somebody to a session, is it still abetting? No, you generally have to know what's going on, but that means, yeah. So the result of that is the more people that you tell in your life, the more liability that people around you have. And that means that if you're engaged in something and you don't necessarily want your roommates to know that by taking the rent, you're having them commit a misdemeanor, it means you're not telling people. But that also means that isolation totally is a driver of vulnerability to violence. If I'm going on a session and I can't call anyone in my life to say like, hey, I'm going in at nine. I'll be out by 10. I'm going to call you. This is where I am. Like that's vulnerability. Yikes. So the more people around you mean you have more access to information, more access to strategies around harm reduction. Learning how to screen means that you have to talk to other sex workers. And that means that you have to ask other sex workers to facilitate your engagement in a legal activity. So like all of these third-party laws, the way it's criminalized also mean that everyone around you, all your access to community organizing can often face criminal penalties too. Um, And so decriminalization is the process of pulling all of those laws that criminalize consensual adult activity. And we can talk a little bit about the age thing, but it means that you pull laws around buying, selling, brothel keeping, which is like criminalization of space, and third-party laws off the books. And it means you leave on laws against uh, violence, exploitation. So all of those things, trafficking, all of that remains criminalized under decriminalization. But it means treating the industry like every other industry. Nice. I think when people hear decriminalization, they automatically think that if you get rid of laws that illegalize uh, people from being able to have bodily autonomy in the sense that you also stop, get rid of the laws that help us to combat sex trafficking. Could you speak a little bit more to that? Where do the strings uh, pull apart on that? I mean, it's similar to anything else. You know, you can legally have sex, but you can't legally rape someone. And so... This is just pulling off the consensual activity. Trafficking is a crime of exploitation through force, fraud, or coercion. It's one of the kinds of violence that sex workers face. And so when you look at uh, the harms that people are talking about, it leaves trafficking, it leaves violence, it leaves sexual assault. All of those stay on the books. And actually, it makes anti-trafficking work a lot easier. And so when you're talking about exploitation, it's really hard sometimes to understand what exploitation looks like when everything is criminalized. When people are criminalized and when they're seen as criminals by the system, it means you're much less likely to report victimization, including violence, including sexual assault, including exploitation. When an entire population is criminalized, everyone is going to be engaging in some similar activities about trying to hide what they're doing from law enforcement. If you're not afraid of penalties, you're more likely to to talk openly about what you do. You can implement basic standards for the industry that you have to commit to. You know, when you're working in a criminalized activity, what are you going to do when someone violates your wage and hour rights? There's literally nothing. But wage and hour rights and, and other forms of labor exploitation are the most salient red flags for trafficking. Mm. And so by pulling these two things apart, by not just lumping everything under facing criminal penalties, you actually make anti-trafficking work a lot more effective. 
So what I'm hearing is, I mean, if we're going to simplify what decrim is versus legalizing it uh, with decriminalization, it's I think the easiest way for me to compare it might be like having a nail salon or doing your nails. It's basically saying, hey, anyone can do their nails. But if you want to open a nail salon, there might be some laws and uh, restrictions involved uh, if you want to do that. Versus as opposed to if, uh, you know, no one can do nails, but you, we we're going to still put in a bunch of loopholes if hypothetically you did want to do a nail salon. Does that make sense? Sort of. You're really close. So legalization, so close. <laughs> legalization means that there is a very specific government constructed legal structure and operating outside of that means that you still face criminal penalties. So okay. in Nevada, actually, there is a system of legalization. In Lyons County. Yeah. And so 10 different counties have voted to allow brothels. I think there's 16 different brothels. Oh, I didn't realize it was up to 10 at this point. And God bless all of them. (laughs) There's been a lot going on there. So take my numbers with a pinch of salt. Fair. There's a number of brothels in different counties, but operation of those brothels is, you know, it is similar in in some ways to marijuana, where if you wanted to like sling on the street – you're still going to go to jail. If you want to open and operate a very, very hyper-regulated dispensary, which takes a ton of capital and where management is still going to be in control and where there's very high, unrealistic, in some cases, regulations to operating those, you know, outside of that, you're going to face criminal penalty. And so legalization- Got it. The reason why, for the most part, the industry does not support legalization models is because, you know, when you're talking about the sex trade, you're talking about economic justice. Um, you're talking about access to resources that is especially available for folks who face the highest barriers to employment, to accessing resources. You're talking about LGBTQ folks. You're talking about undocumented folks. You're talking about parents and caregivers. You're talking about people with records. So you're already talking about people who don't have a huge amount of economic and social capital. And so if you're saying that operating exclusively within this very hyper-regulated government structure, which is not about, you know, low barriers to entry. It's not about economic redistribution. If operating outside of that means you still face criminal penalty, then the people who are already disproportionately impacted by criminalization of the sex trade are still going to have the same barriers. And if we're not thinking about marginalized folks and the way that they're impacted by policy, then what we're going to be doing is necessarily leaving them out and probably making it worse in some cases. And so when we talk about decrim versus legalization, we're saying that the exchange of sexual services working with that industry, you should not face criminal penalties. You know, decriminalization, often a lot of people think it's kind of like the Wild West where there's like absolutely no regulation whatsoever for anything. And that's not true. Mm. You know, there's one place in the world, mm-hmm. there's one country in the world where it is fully decriminalized and that's New Zealand. And that that bill- I was that about to bring it, it up. Yeah, so that bill is like, 80-some pages long, and it has industry regulations. It's that the industry regulations were developed in conjunction with people in the sex trade saying, this is what I need. But, you know, there's things like you can't can't advertise a brothel in a magazine. And I got to be honest, like, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I think that's a totally fine regulation. And, you know, access to wage and hour, access to occupational health and safety, like saying there needs to be a level of cleanliness in different places, like understanding what that looks like, that can be really important. And so, you know, decriminalization is treating the sex industry like you treat every other industry. Yep. Makes total sense. And the act you're referring to is actually the Prostitution Reform Act of 2003. So if anyone wants to look into it, that's the name of it. And 
What's really cool about this, by the way, is that you have contracts that are, you know, between provider and client recognized. Providers have the right to refuse services. You know, advertising is banned with the exception of print media. The Summary of Offense Act, um, you know, remains in force in relation to soliciting. The criminal records, what's cool is that there's this Clean Slate Act that also allows sex workers to apply for previous convictions to be removed. You know, if something's not legitimate or not up to code, they could be reported. So as a client, if you see something that's not done well, you know, you can report it. And as the person who's providing the service, you know that you feel a lot safer. You're in a safer environment to conduct your business. And uh, you can also, if let's say your place of shop isn't running to code, well, you can report it to the state, which is fantastic, I think. How is New Zealand this just just this much better at life than us? <laughs> like they managed to, to decrim 17 years ago. Like they had one mass shooting. They're like, no more guns. They're Apparently they see a mistake and they're like, hey, we apparently can fix things. I'm just, I'm just saying. It's the fucking kawakas. It makes everyone happy there. <laughs> Those like cute little animals when you're walking around and you see that and you're like, oh, life's good. Right? It's the hobbits, man. They needed to make sure they had sex worker availability for the hobbits. The one ring to uh, rule them all <laughs> is actually uh, the Nuva ring. The cock ring to rule them all. <laughs> One does not simply walk into Mordor without a condom. That's it. There seem to be a number of different types of ways people are trying to legalize and regulate sex work throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in the United States, we have full... It's fully illegal, uh, whereas, you know, you have someplace like New Zealand, which is fully decriminalized. So that means as a client or as a provider... It's not criminal at all. But then you have a lot of places in between. I think let's talk about the most popular of the models, which is, and I know you know where I'm going with this, the Nordic model. Kate, enlighten <laughs> our audience. I was sure you were going to bring up the, the burgeoning model in Venezuela, but sure, go with Nordic model. Wait, well, I was kidding. Uh, always got to center those white ladies and when you're talking about this. <laughs> so, yes, there well, is. I'm sorry. The, I, I can't. Oh, no, don't worry. They're centering themselves more than anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Nordic model is one model of criminalization that is um, it passed around the same time as New Zealand. And, you know, one of the things that is really important is we can't dislocate this conversation from um, the impacts of criminalization. And yeah. we know what they are. We know that criminalization contributes to vulnerability to violence, to HIV and STI testing, to exploitation. And in New Zealand, into the, into the law, they said, we're going to study what's happened five years on. And so you can actually go to a government-led and conducted report from New Zealand that talks about the differences. And, and they luckily had low rates of uh, certain things that, you know, we face in the United States. But what they did find was that people reported being more likely to refuse a client they didn't want to see. Condom use is almost 100%. Nice. It is absolutely the default in the industry. People left situations they didn't want to go to because when they were working for a third party that they didn't necessarily feel as comfortable with, what they were looking for was, was protection. It was support. And so once they were able to move into a brothel, which was better regulated than those independent third-party relationships, that's what they did. So 
It didn't expand the size of the industry. It actually made it a little bit smaller oh. over the, uh, the those couple of years, but they don't necessarily know why. But what it did was it changed the dynamics of the industry. And the uh, UN AIDS, WH, the World Health Organization, have pointed to decriminalization as uh, especially in uh, – it was actually – there's one other province in New South – called New South Wales in Australia that is also – fully decriminalized and they call oh, wow. it the healthiest sex industry in the entire world and directly point oh, to decriminalization as the reason for that. Alice, I, I see our next spot for a speaking tour. <laughs> um, I will say in uh, New Zealand, so it is fully decriminalized, but only for citizens and legal permanent residents. Migrants actually can't work huh. in the sex industry. And so they're actually the only population in New Zealand who's still reporting harms uh, such as oh. uh, vulnerability to violence and exploitation. Mm. And so even within that small space, we can see the contrast of what it means to be decriminalized and what it means to be criminalized. And so the model that you're talking about, the Nordic model, around the same time it was passed, I believe it was 1999, specifically in Sweden. And it was passed under this lens of, you know, prostitution is oppression and therefore we have to end the sex trade. And it also was developed with this idea of we're going to implement this and just criminalizing the buying of sexual services, which is what it is. So selling is not criminalized. Buying is criminalized and third parties are criminalized. And hmm. it was really looked at as passing this law is the outcome that we're seeking. And so what that means is that they went in not saying we want to look at the effects and want to see whether or not there's improvement in the lives of people who are trading sex. They said passing this law is our goal. Exporting this law is our next goal. Wow. And so in the last 10 years or so, a number of countries have adopted this model with, and it looks a little bit different. So, you know, it, it, when I talk to Nordic folks, they get so mad that we call it the Nordic model because they're like, every single country is different. I'm like, uh, sure. But what it is, is uh, it's been implemented. Wait for them to point out that Finland isn't part of Scandinavia. Oh my God. I <laughs> Luckily, I just call everything the Nordic model up there. Just it's Nordic. terrible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Y'all are cold. That's what I know. <laughs> it's cold. Your language um, looks like it came from Middle Earth, too. Exactly. And your days are either really long or really short, and I never know what's going on. And your death metal is terrifying. <laughs> I went to Finland for a weekend once in February. I think I saw like two hours of sun. That seems par for the course for winter there. It was a few hundred miles south of the Arctic Circle. Don't understand at all. Hard pass. Which maybe led to the genesis of why this is a good idea. Um, and so over the last several years, most of the Nordic countries have adopted this model, but also Canada, France, and Northern Ireland have all adopted oh, wow. the Swedish model. And what we can say is like, you know, people are people say, all right, under decriminalization in a country that has, you know, a lot of jurisdictions that is has a, a range of socioeconomic groups, uh, every single, uh, you know, diversity is absolutely a, a prominent aspect of American life. What does decriminalization look like there? And I'll be honest, like we don't have that information. Two places in the world mm. have decriminalized in the last 20 years. But we do know because in the last like 15 years, the only major changes in legal approaches to the sex trade, the most consistent data that we have is when you go to a Nordic model country. And what we find is exactly the same in every single country. A report just came out from Canada. We have a report that is um, from the government of Northern Ireland. We have reports from France already about what is happening there. And we know that there is an increase in primarily stigma 
and shaming of people huh. in the sex trade. We know that there's an increase wow. in violence. It actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's really clear to every single country. Because what you're doing is ultimately you're putting the priority of the client, their anonymity, above everything else. Oh, Jesus. So, yeah. So consider this. So if you're a sex worker and hypothetically you're going to be servicing a client, well, so first off, well, you're decriminalized, but the selling of services oh. is um, criminalized. Your client pool just got so much smaller. So you're going to have to market and advertise yourself. So the how are you going to do that? You might have to hire a manager, aka a pimp. So that's the first problem. Uh, second of all, let's say you normally just pick up calls from numbers that you recognize. Well, maybe you're going to have to take that blocked phone number and take that client. Well, here's the problem with that. What if hypothetically that client abuses you? You have no idea who that client was. And by the way, on the flip side, if you're a client and you see someone who's underage and possibly even being trafficked, you can't admit to that because if you do, you're admitting to committing, you know, a crime because it's still criminalized for the Johns. Uh, and then lastly, I mean, you have to make snap decisions. So if you're a street worker and hypothetically you're going to get into a car to work at the John or you're going to go maybe to a riskier place like a forest to work or back alley you can't, you know, wonder, well, is this guy just nervous or is he dangerous? Because you have to make that decision very quickly. And frankly, a lot of times you don't have the luxury to, you know, wonder, especially if money is on the line and you're kind of, you need it. Yeah, absolutely. In in Northern Ireland, they actually, it's a small enough area where they have one bad date list. It's an app that they use throughout the country. Within the first year, there was almost a doubling in the reports of, of violence and uh, antisocial activities and behaviors against sex workers. You're absolutely right. Wow. People are still looking for clients. And so when those clients feel at risk, you have to take on more of the liability. It's a risk premium that actually flips mm. around where all of a sudden, instead of saying like, well, I'm the one who's facing vulnerability from violence. It's, I have to cater to your fears, which means that you're less likely to have screening information. It means that our negotiations are going to look really different. It means that if we're in a public place, exactly, if you are afraid that there's cops going around, the first thing that happened actually in Canada when they implemented this and, were, and they were looking at that is people's negotiation times dropped, which means that you can't check your gut. Oh, it means that you can't ask all the questions. You might not even be able to negotiate how much before you have to get in the car. You definitely can't negotiate condoms. Mm -hmm use because that is evidence that's going to be held against Ooh. you. And it means that when that client says, I know where you feel more comfortable, but I know where I feel more comfortable, you go. And so in every single country, there's been reports of not just higher rates of violence, but people feeling like there's even more, you know, there's a lot of feelings that people have about the cops and all of them uh, should be honored. But people ultimately felt like they had less ability to go and report when something happened and were expecting and anticipating and experiencing higher levels of violence before they were willing to come forward. And I mean, it does work. There are certain clients who are like, I'm scared of getting arrested, so I'm less likely to go seek out someone. Well, you probably just lost one of your nicest clients. You probably lost the client <laughs> that's gonna be the most respectful. And that means that when you go from saying, well, I need 10 clients to make my rent, I generally encounter 15 people, that might drop down to 10. And because you are desperate to get those clients, there's a really good chance you're going to drop your prices, which always happens. And yep. you're probably going to start offering services that you weren't offering before. So it means you are doing more for less money and with less likelihood to refuse under worse circumstances. Because, And it's disgusting that they talk about this as like a human rights thing. 
because they always talk about it as that. And actually, it's putting people in significantly more danger of a lot of different types of harm, as well as in those countries, you still see people get picked up. Like, sex workers are still regularly policed if you have an open warrant, if you're carrying, if you have something on you. Like, people are still getting busted, and they're still getting busted for things like brothel keeping, which is two people working together out of a space. So it's not like criminalization of sex workers goes down. Policing of sex work still happens. It just happens where you get different charges. So did anything good come out of the Nordic model? Because like, I thought it was good and I clearly did not do my homework. And I my mind is kind of blown right now at how bad this seems. I'm like, so what? What, if anything, good came out of this uh, for both the sex workers and hopefully for the clients? But it, it sounds like not much. I mean, clients who wanted to pay less, pay less. Oh, that's all we've got. like, And frankly, I mean, if you're someone who uh, wants to get rid of sex work altogether, it, it gave numbers for those people. I've actually read a number of articles where people say, well, look what happens when you start uh, decriminalizing and legalizing prostitution in these countries. Uh, people are unsafe. Uh, people actually have worse feelings towards sex workers, X, Y, and Z. Uh, well, yeah, that's not a surprise because you've kind of changed the model of work as opposed to, you know, keeping it all underground where it kind of made the playing field a little bit more equal with it being all illegal. I hate to say it. It made it so much worse because the parts that you made, well, decriminalized and kept criminalized, you put people at more risk and you changed the playing field. And what Kate mentioned actually with uh, brothel keeping, that's not only specific to Nordic countries. So I think of, I believe, uh, Germany, Spain, as well as um, definitely France, I know, have brothel keeping rules where if hypothetically you're a sex worker, your roommate's a sex worker, and, you know, you want to see a client, you have a brothel. And here's a problem with that. I've heard stories of sex workers where they say after, let's say, maybe a confrontation with the client, the client had the balls to say, well, you can't report me. Why? Well, because you guys are having you have a brothel here and that's illegal. So imagine abusing a sex worker or having a confrontation with one and knowing that just because you and your friend share a space because you have an apartment and you feel a lot safer with your friend there, that you could potentially be in harm's way in trouble. Wow. Yeah, because think about it. I mean, and especially think about the context of police in the U.S. Like, let's say that client threatens brothel keeping and let's say you go to the cops, they file something about brothel keeping And you don't get charged because the cops are like, well, that's fucking dumb. What's to say they're not going to go to your landlord and get you evicted? There's nothing. Like, what's to say that that's not going to be utilized against you in different ways? Because criminalization, like, we often talk about criminalization as if it starts at the moment of arrest. But people start making decisions about criminalization who may never encounter a cop. You make decisions about what's going to avoid that police encounter first and foremost, and generally above other forms of vulnerability and victimization, because it's painful to talk about. It's crass to talk about. It's uncomfortable to talk about. But I mean, I I know very, very deeply that if you see a client, you screened in a certain way, you got assaulted, you can walk out and never see that client again. You get arrested and that's a nightmare that's going to impact the rest of your life. And so I'm not saying that we should 
you know, categorically put one form of harm over another. I'm just saying that based on the very real prioritization that I know takes place every single day for a lot of different people, they're putting the vulnerability of assault above the vulnerability of arrest. And that is terrifying. No one should have to make that kind of calculus every single day just to be able to pay their rent. And that's what happens. Not to mention, you know, when we talk about it, like, Criminalization isn't just your local vice squad and that court case. Criminalization happens in a lot of different ways. And decriminalization kind of sits at the core of that. Because sex work is criminalized, you're talking about if you get arrested and you get locked up for the weekend, if you have a kid at home, that's child and family services that all of a sudden is is inserted into your life (laughs) for as long as they want. You're talking about, you know, because you are working in a criminalized industry, if your bank gets word of that, they all of a sudden have fears that they're going to get money laundering charges. When we talk, we can't talk about criminalization these days and not talk about the internet and how people are getting kicked off the internet because those companies are afraid of liability and reasonably so. And so when we talk about all of these different things and the way they work together. Decriminalization is actually something I talk about a little bit less and divestment from these systems and alternative responses for justice Mm. is what I think we also need to be talking about. Because at the end of the day, if we pull every loitering statute off the books, we'll still have other statutes that if you have a vice Mm. squad who's doing those sting operations, if you have quality of life, 70 quality of life crimes on the books and a vice squad enforcing them, you know, criminalization happens to people and bodies and communities. And what you get charged with is often a lot of profiling and it's often pretty arbitrary. Mm. And one of the reasons I brought up the Nordic model, aside from it's implemented in so many countries, well, it's pretty relevant actually in the news today, because in specifically from what I'm aware of in New York State and in D.C., Washington, D.C., they're trying to implement it. Mm hmm. What? Absolutely. You know, every time that's been one of the things about these uh, amazing decriminalization campaigns is for a really long time, people who were anti-sex work were setting the table and, you know, they were forcing sex workers and organizers to come in and, and play on those grounds. And you know, decriminalization is making headway. Just last week, a report was released which said that 52% of voters are into decrim. Like, that is unbelievable. It's absolutely amazing. I can't imagine that being the stat like back in the 90s. That that has to be a, a monumental shift in voter opinion on that. You know, I think it's a shift in voter opinion because people are paying attention to sex workers. Like, I, I think that the gut feeling was always there. And all we're doing is putting language to it for the first time and saying, like, hey, when people are criminalized, having a criminal record makes it really hard to get another job. And people are like, oh, that makes sense. So two consenting adults want to exchange resources and sex. What do you think of that? And they're like, I have real problems. What do you think about that? You know, it it's mind-boggling <laughs> to think that 52% are in favor of this. And at the end of the day, when we actually take a step back from some of the really, like, absolutely horrific, mean, shitty things that get said about sex workers, the second you step back and actually look at the situation of, like, criminalization of the sex trade, it's actually ridiculous that we criminalize. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people who look at what we talk about on this podcast with decriminalizing uh, sex work, and they think it's just uh, prostitution, just uh, people working one-on-one with the client. It's like, you know what? The types of systems that are in place to criminalize this behavior also are the same types of systems and types of beliefs and behaviors that are the reasons why sex workers, why uh, porn performers are yanked off Instagram, yanked off Twitter, shadow banned, mm-hmm. those types of things, why they lose uh, their ability to hold a bank account. So you Or even a out- PayPal account. Ex- exactly. So you out there with the cum covered hands just like me who is listening to this and are wondering why does this affect me it affects you because you are a part of this too we all are and if you are a sexual being who wants to support the type of people who allow you to enjoy all the sexual thoughts this is important to you and you should support other people's ability to have their sexual autonomy and enjoy either selling or buying of sex in a way that is safe and legal absolutely and when you're talking about how so many people work in the industry in a lot of different ways anti-sex work laws are anti-sex work laws. And, you know, folks might be like, I am only, you know, looking at porn at this one website. I'm never going to be affected by this. And oh. you're absolutely wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, don't worry, it'll come for you too. Exactly. And and that's why, you know, if you're a consumer of anything, you know, it's hard to be an ethical consumer of everything. Yep. That That's just not real. And capitalism is the root of all harm anyway. Hey, I harvest my puppy hearts ethically. God damn it. Send Hamil to the usual address. He was free range before then, I'm sure. <laughs> Lived a good <laughs> life until age of eight weeks. Oh, God, I'm going to get so much hate mail. My dog is sleeping between my legs right now. Oh. So. But yeah, you know, it's really important for anyone who is any kind of consumer of the sex industry to be really thoughtful about this because at the end of the day, the people who are against the sex industry aren't just against prostitution. They're against sex work. And so as many anti-prostitution bills pop up, as we see anti-porn bills popping up, and that absolutely has a serious impact. And then at the end of the day, watching porn means you are watching a performer and an actor who deserves access to rights. You should be thoughtful about the industries that we consume. And and that means that actually looking at, at the ways that criminalization and laws and stigmatization are really, really harming people. You know, I think about when there was just a, a rash of suicides. And so much of that is mm-hmm. coming from stigmatized spaces to the way that we think and talk about these issues, from the way that people feel about their participation in the sex industry and the way that they are criminalized and abused for it long afterwards. You know, this is a, yes, this is a conversation about decrim. Yes, support your local decrim campaign. Yes, we should also probably a- a- abolish the police and prisons. And if you're going to be a consumer of an industry and an industry that holds so much vulnerability, it holds so much emotional and uh, labor and compassion for people. Like if we actually honored, and I'm talking about this outside of anyone's price point, but if you can sit down and watch porn and recognize how much that is uh, maybe a removed performer, but someone nonetheless holding space for your vulnerability and you're like, weird rule 87 thing that you're like, thank God there's the internet for this because I will never meet a centaur. (gasps) Like that is still a really beautiful thing. Have dreams though. Have dreams. Exactly. And like porn and sex and the sex industry is there for people in emotional and vulnerable moments. And you better fucking well respect it and care how much uh, it's being weaponized. It is there for you. Now, 
we talk about the people where, I mean, there's a obvious people where for, quote, morality reasons, their pearl clutching ways, well, you know, always have an issue with the porn, the sex industry for one reason or another. But that said, they found bedfellows with another group. And I want to talk about them because they have gained a lot of steam in the media and it's not okay. So, obviously who I'm talking about are the people who are actually driving the Nordic model, which is progressives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, for example, Seth Meyers' wife. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The people who who push Fasta Sesta, like they're helping. Like, yeah. (laughs) So guys, Ivanka wasn't only for it. So was Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris. So shut your mouths. Um, I'm just just saying I'm a Democrat, but stop sucking at this. Fucking stop it. Stop it. Guys, Elizabeth Warren signed FOSTA SESTA too. I okay? love you, okay. Elizabeth Warren. You sucked at this. You, you okay. fell for it. <sighs> so okay. you have a ton of people. And I think actually uh, NBC even did a coverage the other day of someone who was a former uh, traffic victim. And she said blatantly that she wants to have the Johns punished to remove a market. And it, we all know that at this point, it doesn't matter if you criminalize half the market, it's still going to exist. Is it going to live in the shadows? Yes, but it still is going to exist. And that's a reality. There will always be a market for the selling and buying of fucking let's make it safe. Exactly. So and we care about safety here and obviously human rights on this podcast. So let's talk about how I've seen like I feel like Teen Vogue has promoted um, the Nordic model, MSNBC, uh, NBC. So um, basically everywhere that claims that they are into human rights and, and is sure that they have a right take on this has fucked it up, which is severely disappointing. I mean, Kate, the way I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think people are are going at this from the perspective of we need to criminalize the buyers because the poor sex worker, you know, she has to stoop to this and this will save her. Am I wrong? If we get rid of the demand, she'll be able to go on and become a, a human rights lawyer, I think is what they're all thinking. Or at least a Starbucks barista, at least, bare minimum. Oh, yeah. We'll make her so much money. One of my favorite conversations that I've ever had on the Hill was with one of the lone Republican offices that I sat down with after FOSTA and SESTA passed. And we were talking about how, like, the sex industry is is often piecing together access to resources where we should have social safety nets and we don't. And we were like, no, there's a lot of barriers to accessing formal employment and and that has a living wage. And the response was, well, that's why we co-sponsored a bill about more women being hired by NASA. What? What? And I was like, I don't know what conversation you're having. <sighs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. One more. Because I feel like I just had a stroke. Either that or my dog barked <laughs> and I missed it. They co-sponsored a bill to have more. What was that? Just women and women NASA? hired by NASA. And this helped sex workers. Were they going to send sex workers to school to get their PhDs <laughs> in astrophysics and then get them hired by NASA? Dude, I'm totally down with sex workers in space. I mean, if that's a... I could see Ella Darling making it to space. I could definitely see Ella doing it. I could see, you know, if Mercedes Carrera turns out not to be a child molester, she's smart enough to do it. It's dark. Did you hear about this, Kate? No. My interactions with porn are generally not... They're generally in, like, the weird queer porn areas. 
we like weird. Anyways, we had Mercedes Carrera, and her. I love that her real name is Melinda Smith. Okay, you know if you're Melinda Smith, you get to be Mercedes Carrera when you're doing Latina milf porn. You go, girl. But she was she was accused of uh, of child molestation and I believe drug possession, which drug possession probably. But you know because because we're adults uh, and that happens. But she's been in jail for a while now, like over a year. I believe the arrest happened not that long after we had her on the podcast. There's been she has not been able to consult a lawyer, I believe, more than once. And here's the thing. I am not defending her. I don't know what happened. She said, and she did one interview. She was allowed one interview with the press. She did recently another one. Uh, there was an update, uh, Gustavo for Expiz. Uh, oh, one. I'll actually I'll link it in the show notes yeah. um, where she and her attorney, they pushed out the trial date because they want to win it. Oh. So uh, I think they pushed it out till April, I believe. Jesus. But essentially, uh, there's been a lot of talk about how they're using uh, her background of being in pornography and sex work as an angle of here she's clearly guilty. Yeah, as as evidence. And it's like, here's the thing. When she gave her first interview, and I'm I do not know what evidence the police have. Please don't say Yvette's defending a child. I I don't none of us know, and that's the thing. Uh Mercedes gave one interview in which like it seemed like you remember the Sandusky interview where they asked him, Are you attracted to children? He couldn't just say, No, that's disgusting. He was like, Well, I'm attracted to you. No, like her interview was all very I'm disgusted that anyone would even suggest someone like that I would touch my daughter I just uh, if you ha- the longer you have me in jail the more trauma this is for my daughter to be away from her like there was nothing in there that and I get it she could be playing us all in this interview but like I don't know something seems off about the whole thing and I hope whatever the truth is whether she had it seems I believe her ex-partner the uh, her daughter's uh, father is the one who levied the accusation so whatever the truth is I hope it comes out I hope her daughter is safe either from a father who would lie about the mother that way or from a mother who's a pedophile but it seems wrong that she was sent to jail unable to speak to an attorney unable to see the it was just ah so I mean think about also a whole year prior to from when you're arrested to the point where you're actually going to trial. You know, you haven't been charged with anything yet. Yeah. And she's just, yeah. so, I mean, I think a huge part of the reason why they were able to just do this to her is she works in this industry. And so they could also the jail system is shitty. Yeah. And they could kind of, yeah, I do remember this case actually. And the thing that I noticed from the interview is that it looked like so many situations I had seen before Mm. where, there is an acrimonious divorce happening and child custody gets involved. And I have seen countless situations where people have used someone's ads, someone has worked in porn, someone's been a dancer, use that as a reason to undermine custody of their kids. Yeah. And I mean, we do not know. I mean, from what we have Mercedes on, and like, I, there are things I disagree with her on. Like, I, I understand that there was some uh, kerfuffle about her opinions from Gamergate. That aside, she was probably one of the smartest guests we ever had on. Like, she has, I don't know if it's a PhD or a master's in some form of like ocular physics. Like, yeah, she's the kind of brainy that I like. And I, I make my my living on on writing smart sciencey stuff. And she blew me away with how smart she was. Like, just smart, smart, smart girl. And the whole reason she ended up in porn was because the type of like optics she was working on first, the space station, just there wasn't a, there wasn't a job for it right now. So, Hey, Latina milf porn. But like, I don't know what's true and what they just could throw at her and make stick because, um, it's very easy in the public eye to obfuscate what's, you know, this this horrible accusation with, hey, she did porn, so of course it's real. And I think that we need to disentangle this so much more for the public eye than we have. We have not done a good enough job of this so far. Yeah, and I, I will say... 
kind of going back to our, our previous conversation about how, yeah, like anti-sex work has been a bipartisan issue for a really long time. And at the same time, you know, so has uh, criminalization of substance use. And so I often kind of don't disentangle at least the conversations about those two things because you are talking about people engaging in activity for a variety of different very personal reasons. And, you know, to your point, I say this all the time. People are allowed to feel however they want about sex work and about prostitution and about the sex trade. Like those are deeply rooted beliefs that have to do with so many different things about your thoughts on the body and sex and religion and capitalism and what all of that means together. And I have no right to come in and tell you that you're wrong. Like those are your feelings. They are valid. And by the way, you could still be pro-capitalist and pro-sex work and human rights. There is a balance. I would think sex work is really capitalist. Exactly. Every time we talk about decriminalization, we're generally just talking about anti-violence. We're talking about the ways yeah. that literally taxpayers, every single one, is funding something that is getting people more likely to die. Like, that's the conversation that we're having. If you want to talk about and process your feelings about sex work, like, let's do it in 50 years when it matters. All we're talking about right now is when you criminalize people accessing very basic resources in a world that does not provide very basic resources, all you're talking about is violence, HIV and STI transmission, exploitation, stigma. That's what we're talking about right now. What I'm saying is if you're a libertarian and or Republican and you don't like seeing money being wasted on unnecessary government resources, <laughs> here's where you could get hard. Oh, yeah. Here. Absolutely. This is safe for communities. This is lower crime rates. This is a lot of things that everyone yeah. across the entire ideological spectrum should, for every reason, agree with. But, you know, sex. Totally. If you can find me another industry that is open to an undocumented parent of two who wants to, like, raise their kids. And if you want to find another job that pays that much per hour that is available to that person, like, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Let's absolutely have that conversation. Yep. And until then, could you maybe not throw someone in jail or deport someone because they're trying to, like— access housing. Yeah. If an adult is doing a job that hurts no one, that everyone's getting paid an honest day's labor for, why is this anyone else's business? And especially it's exactly. like, it's, it's just, like I said, it's the sex industry, whether or not it is sex work one-on-one -on -one with a client or sex work in front of a camera. On some level, almost all of us use this kind of labor. The fact that we haven't looked into it and said, what can we do to help these people whose work we, we use? This is a failing. Uh, this is a societal failing that we've had for a long time. And it's probably because of a combination of our puritanical roots and, uh, you know, because sex is dirty, obviously. So, Kate, I know you've been involved, especially when it comes to D.C. hearings. Out of curiosity, for those who want to get actually involved or, you know, want to know the progress for either New York or uh, D.C., uh, so what's going on and how can people find resources and get involved? How can we sit in a trial and yell at Lindsey Graham? <laughs> I mean, I am in full support. That's my new fetish. You know, I would be more in support of it if I didn't think he would like it. Fair. I think that if he is into women, he's into having a candle stuck in his ass and lit. And I don't I just I feel I feel that there are some some very subby things about Ms. Graham. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I mean, they clearly love bottoming to Mitch McConnell. So. <laughs> oh, man. And worst. I, I really hope that I, I just conveyed the worst mental image you may have ever had on your podcast. Oh, no, we've had worse. 
Don't worry. <laughs> I hope that whenever they leave an Oval Office meeting with Trump, they have to leave saying yes, mistress to him or something like that. I just I want it to be just a straight out like on all of them. And here's one thing I, I, I will say, because, um, yeah, I am lucky enough to be able to work with SWAC uh, in D.C. Oh, nice. um, also get to be very close to the the Decrim NY folks who are amazing. And uh, right now, so D.C. last year, amazing, absolutely incredible. It's the first time in the country that there's been a hearing in front of the body that's going to vote on a bill on a full Decrim bill, wow. um, which is buyer sellers, third parties. And which is like the nerdiest thing to get excited about, but it is really, really exciting. Also, because like SWAC is a coalition that is absolutely led by queer people of color. I cannot overstate that enough about how important it is. The people who are most at risk for arrest are the ones actually leading this fight. Um, they're the ones who wow. I am absolutely proud to take leadership from and who are really calling the shots. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm so excited about DC because DC is also living into the value that like the people closest to the problem should be the people closest to the solution and and wow. walk us towards the solution. And in DC, that's, that's really amazing. actually happening. And so uh, the coalition is coming together to kind of um, rethink through the rest of the year. Um, it went up for a 14 and a half hour hearing, um, oh which was super God. intense. Wow. Oh, you can see Ooh. all of the videos still on the DC City Council Ooh. website. Oh, my God. It was incredibly emotional testimony. And it was an, an incredibly hard day, but it also, it really, it was the first time that the other side, which was a lot of people who put themselves under different lenses. Some of them are morality, some of them are anti-trafficking. Mm. And sex worker, like realistically, when it comes down to it, anti-trafficking is a sex worker rights issue. Sex worker rights is not an anti-trafficking issue. And so as a movement, I think we really need to start claiming that space and have really serious conversations about how exploitation is presenting itself in the industry and how we are really going to take that on and deal with it. I have a complete aside that I'm going to interrupt you with because I'm a yeah. bad person. But um, so yesterday, so the day of recording is the day after the Super Bowl is going to come out in about, you know, another two weeks or so. But there was an article I read yesterday on how the Super Bowl is a bastion of women that have been trafficked for sex work, because, of course, that's where, you know, you've got 100,000 horny men who have driven into the event and they're going to want to get laid. So all the pimps have come to down with all the women that have been trafficked. And I'm like, here's the in the article that I read about this. There were what sounded like might have been a few examples of trafficking but then there were examples of sex workers who'd gone to the event and i'm like i don't know if i were a sex worker i'd be like where could i get work this weekend actually i will link in the show notes because elizabeth nolan brown for reason magazine wrote a fantastic article called uh, super bowl sex trafficking mix myths return oh my and god thank you yes <laughs> yes and she details all the myths lists all the different articles she's written about and all yeah it's bs it's not a thing guys yeah yeah and it's also a very like this isn't a coincidence either this is a pretty purposeful thing for the local area to you know the reason why hotels are like we are doing our due diligence to deal with trafficking which means we're going to screen for sex workers we're looking for signs that someone's a, tra a sex worker or being trafficked in our lobby really how can you look at someone and tell they're being trafficked they look a little vacant because they just got out of a, a plane after 12 hours what? if they're pretty at the bar and they're drinking alone <laughs> and you're a woman so yeah you're oh, a sex you guys worker. laugh oh no, no, no it's true I, we know it's serious yeah, no, the, the list of red flags includes things like um, having two cell phones, not allowing housekeeping to come in, that's me. Um, that's having me. multiple condoms in your oh, trash that's me. can. 
Um, asking for extra towels. Sometimes me. Oh, which so like me. literally, have you Hard people me. never been at a conference? Alice, are you trafficking like, me? Probably. Alice is trafficking me. Call the cops. <laughs> yeah, and and the thing is, there is serious exploitation at the Super Bowl. If you think about oh, it, yeah. people are descending for an entire week on a single city. That means that every single yep. hotel has to be staffed up at 100% with temporary and often transitory labor. It means that every single bar has to be stocked. It means that you have to hire more busboys in the back. It means that you have to engage in practices that aren't really supportive of, you know, basic labor and economic rights and Florida. And that's where labor gets exploited. Exactly. And and Florida wants to push itself as like a leader on trafficking. Florida doesn't have a Department of Labor. They defunded their Department of Labor oh my God. years Florida's ago. A mess. Which means that there aren't people doing know your rights work. There aren't outreach workers. There aren't people doing wage and hour cases. Oh my God. They have specifically undermined every basic labor protection in that state and instead criminalized sex workers. So the reason, like it's it's partially moral, but, you know, people have been pearl clutching about a handful of things for a really long time. The reason why trafficking especially took off is because it weaves that morality into hyper-criminalization, especially against poor folks, against women of color, against migrants, among the most vulnerable people, and puts them into systems of state control. It puts traffickers in prison, which is the one place where if you care, if you actually cared about forced labor, you wouldn't put people in prison, which is the one place where you actually yeah. are legally allowed to enslave people. Oh, yeah. Jesus. And so, you know, yep. we, we talk about morality and I think we actually need to start talking about the ways that anti-trafficking which is a real thing. People get trafficked into the sex industry. It's a, you know, it's a yeah. low barrier yes. industry. It absolutely happens. The problem is uh, when we don't even know the numbers. No, absolutely not. And we don't understand that we are actually creating and incentivizing a lot of that through economic policy. And we're keeping people poor. We're keeping people in trafficking situations. And so I generally mm -hmm. don't talk about morality. What I generally talk about is the ways that anti-trafficking is being weaponized to do one thing under the lens of another. And and what I will say, you know, when I go to the Hill, a lot of what I'm doing, yes, is, is like basic 101 education, but a lot of it is helping people unlearn because staffers and elected officials have been fed a steady diet about what anti-trafficking work looks like for decades at this point. And so when I go into an office, the first thing I do is I always across the board assume that they've already made decisions on things and voted for things that are going to be in in opposition to what I'm about to say, but that no one's been mm. there kind of for the last two decades saying, this is what's mm. happened on the ground. This is what's actually going on. And so I sometimes get to be the very first person to have that conversation with them and giving people space and grace to grow. It is absolutely foundational. So you go in very politically grounded you're like, I know I'll get this far, maybe, knowing they're here and I'm here, and I want them to at least marinate in my information today. Mm -hmm. And from there, they can think about it, and there, from there, I can give them more info and more and build, and eventually, I can get them to where I want them. And today, I will get them here. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I want to honor that we have a, every single office that I will sit down with, we have shared values that are about anti-violence, that are about health, that are about caring about the queer community, that are about caring about poverty and addressing that, that are about anti-trafficking. Wanting to fight exploitation in the sex industry is a very sincere shared value. And I promise you, I'm yeah. the one that probably cares even more about that in that room. And so if I can 
meet someone who, yeah, has probably made some mistakes. You know, so I work a lot federally. And so on the Hill, on December 17th, we introduced the, um, with led by uh, Representatives Rokana out of San Jose and uh, Representative Barbara Lee out of Oakland, so go Bay Area, the oh, Safe nice. Sex Worker Study Ooh. Act. And it was an act that basically just says, hey, we keep shutting down these internet platforms or they're making the decision to shut down for a variety of reasons. Let's look at the impact of that. And mm. so going in and talking to offices means you have to talk to offices that voted for SESTA and FOSTA, which expanded that liability and, and made a lot of websites shut down. And we're probably in support of taking down Backpage. And they've never had a conversation mm. about what happens when you lose access to the internet. If there's anything that I can just convey, like policymakers have a lot on their plate and they're generally not following sex worker Twitter. Yeah. So the expectation that, like, I don't know shit about NASA. But my representative has to. And I have the ability to really focus. Don't give your representatives <laughs> that much credit. Don't worry. Well, <laughs> They're perfectly capable of knowing shit about many things. Clearly, there's sure. one that is very focused on sex workers being a part of NASA. So talk to him. <laughs> it's probably Jim Jordan. Um, Why not legislate for two things you know nothing about? Exactly. Just sex work and astrophysics. Sex workers in space. I would I would totally That is that. my charity. That is my Oh, we, <laughs> that's our reality show, Alice. Oh god. Sex workers in space. That's that we're doing it. We're is Netflix in. still taking awesome. pitches? I'll let's do Netflix it. Netflix has already signed us up for a three-season deal for that. I wouldn't doubt it. Wait, no, those EDM DJs that were in front of us in the line for the AVN, they just heard my idea for it and stole it. Okay, oh we're going to we're gonna save that as Patreon content. Oh, my God. Okay, it's, so if you want the EDM DJ story, the we're going to spill. The worst people in the world. Hold we it. We met the worst Hold people. Hold it, okay? We'll tell you the story of the worst people in the world. By the way, speaking of patrons, we have some to thank on this <laughs> podcast. Walter Cortazzo. Hazel, Mike Sorbetsko, Mark Romer, Jeff Peterson, Ryan Shambly, Couch Potato, Maurice Struble, Michael Gatt, Alexandra Dees, Brad Leclerc, Chris D, Brian Gowdy, Falco Hyfing, and many, many others. By the way, if you want to become a patron yourself, go to patreon.com slash twogirlsonmike or just go to twogirlsonmike.com to click the support button and support us because you get extra stories which are insane from the AVNs. You get to hear about the worst people and you get a back catalog of bonus episodes. There's definitely a picture of me licking a tentacle somewhere, but you know, that might already be all somewhere. Anyways, come join us. By the way, you also get this full episode because you're getting clips right now. But guess what? You get the full episode. You go to patreon.com and you get to see the whole shebang. I, I'm, I'm, this is a w very awkward person. You get to see what I look like while I'm kicking my cat off of my chaise 16 times during this episode. And you, uh, my my dog is in front of the screen right now. So all of you who are not our Patreons, you don't know if I'm lying or not. Anyways, uh, Kate, where where can our wonderful listeners find you? Because they definitely need to hear more about, about everything you're doing. Um, I am on Twitter at Kate Diodamo. Uh, K-A-T-E-D-A-D-A-M-O. And that's where I, I try to post a lot about kind of what's going on, both on the federal level. And then there's a, a lot of amazing, incredible, unbelievable campaigns that are, are forming right now. If you want to follow, uh, you can go find um, SWAC, S-W-A-C, the Sex Workers Action Coalition that's based in D.C. and spearheading the D.C. legislation. And Decrim Y, which is uh, doing some, some base building and some kind of nuts and bolts work. Um, but uh, excitingly enough, 
enough. Governor Cuomo just put out a statement that, uh, so in New York, there is a full decriminalization bill. There is also a repeal of the loitering bill, which is loitering for the purposes of prostitution, um, which means that a cop driving by can be like, I know what you're doing right now and arrest you. And that <laughs> cop's judgment is often wow. enough to get you mm. booked. Um, and most people are going to plead out to those cases. So there's a lot of people on there who have gotten that charge. It is incredibly common. Ma'am, your loitering is a little too sex workery. Just what? <laughs> Ma'am, you look a little right? too good to just stand on that street corner. <laughs> Get into the car. Going to have to bring you in for questioning. Oh, yeah. And it and the terrible, incriminating evidence of things like condoms. being in an area known for prostitution, possessing condoms, um, possessing <sighs> cash, all can be held against you. What? <laughs> Shut up. Yep. possession and cash possession. Cash possession. Fuck. Yeah. I have so many questions and they all start with fuck you. Um, yes. <sighs> so Governor Cuomo, so that bill has, that repeal bill has been around for a couple of years and Governor Cuomo just said uh, that he is in support of that repeal. So it actually looks like a repeal of that loitering law, which used to catch thousands Good. of people every single year is going to oh. come through this year. So everyone cross nice. your fingers too. And that is uh, decrim and why is where you can find more about what's going on with those folks. And then this study bill, it's very exciting. So actually, it was um, introduced. We have 17 co-sponsors now um, and very slowly trying to get um, more and more, but everyone should call their representative and ask them to sign on to the Safe Sex Workers Study Act and call your senator. And the other thing I want to say, if you're listening to this and, you're, uh, and you want to check out the decrim uh, NY, the bill that, uh, that you just mentioned, call your state reps and your state senators, because mm -hmm. that's where these things are going to be brought up is not Ted Cruz isn't going to be talking about this. The guy who represents your freaking tiny little district uh, that 12 people in your town remember his name. That's who's going to be bringing this up. So call him. He has he has a phone number. She has a phone number. Call them. Uh, that's where you can make a lot of change is at the state and city level, please do it. Please do what you can for this because you're the people who can do this. Because almost every city as well, if you call your city council, that's who's voting on your police budget. Mm. Yep. So when you want to call them and ask how much is going towards vice stings, is going towards prostitution enforcement, that's who controls that. And your city, like your senator, unless you're in Wyoming, you know, might care about you, might not. Your city council cares about you. Your state representative cares about what you think and takes this stuff seriously. And that's where decriminalization is going to have to, it's all state and local laws. Yeah, there's some federal stuff that's big and impactful and important, but at the state and the city level is where a lot of these laws manifest. And so the people who really actually do want to know your name, what you think, and will remember you, that's your state senator and your city council. Just a reminder, you're an adult. It's perfectly legal for you to drunk dial them. There's nothing stopping you except that you're probably sober right now. So get some drinks in you, call your state reps, and make sure they know this is important. The only person we suggest probably not drunk dialing a senator is Sydney Leathers. Sydney, we love you, but you know what happened. Sydney, Sydney no, no, it's not for you. We're just saying. We're just, this didn't work out before you had your shot. All right. So that said, uh, Kate, uh, we're definitely going to link also to SWAC Decrim New York, uh, as well as the Sex Workers Study Act in the show notes of this episode. But also, uh, are you saying that people should call and encourage your senators to sign on to the Sex Workers Study Act? 
Absolutely. It's been both introduced in the House and it has introduced, been introduced in the Senate that it, and led by Senator Warren um, and supported by Senator Sanders, who both voted for SESTA and FOSTA. And so just because your senator, just because your rep voted for something, they got sold a false bill of sale. Right. And yep. we understand that, like, they weren't hearing from all the voices. And, yeah, we have some work to do. And so it's yeah. time to really change that paradigm. And just because they voted for something, they're not a lost cause. Yeah, they did bad things. It seems like they want to do better. Get on board. Just light the fire under their ass. So we can do this. Be the change. Be the change. So if you're listening to this, again, you could see the whole video uh, and also get additional bonus content from Yvette and I uh, over at patreon.com slash two rolls on mic. If you're watching the video, you're watching the shortened version. You can watch the full thing again, patreon.com slash two girls on mic. Or again, just go to two girls on mic.com, hit the support button and you'll take you to our Patreon. But thank you so much, Kate, for joining us today. Thank you, guys. This was awesome. This is a good time. This was great. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell all your friends about the show because clearly this is super important. Tell all your friends who watch porn. So tell all your friends. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. 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 